BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm sick of it! Every year! We give power to one person! Madigan's gone, dude. Madigan's uh, gone. Come on, boss. Calm down, all right? <laughs> hey, what's going on, everybody? We're live. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, March 31st. Holy crap, April is tomorrow, Ben. Oh, tomorrow's April Fool's Day. You got- Whoa. April Fool's Day. By the way, just so rookie listeners, that was Congressman Michael Bost, one of Dennis's favorite clips. I love it, too. Back in the days when he was state representative, Michael Bost, from some downstate district, and he threw a little hissy fit about Michael Joseph Madigan. I'm sick of it every year. We can power to one person. <laughs> My favorite hissy fit of all time. <laughs> and he threw his papers in the air. That's what you can't see, folks. Uh, one day we'll have a video on this show. You'll see him throw his pay. I'm sick of it. I've been known to do that from time to time at a, after a meeting with Dennis. I'm sick of oh, it. Oh, don't. Hey, let's not break the fourth wall on that one, all right? All right. Sorry. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, March 31st is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors, sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. I'm sick of the Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors. I'm sick of it. And of course, today's show brought to you by the Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, what to do, where to go, what to drink, what to smoke, what to eat. How to think politically. If you are a clueless Chicagoan, get a clue. ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe. Uh, get the uh, publication as well. And ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. There you can become a binhead. If you're an avid listener to this program and you're like, boy, I want to help out those two psychos that do this show every day. <laughs> Well, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Go there and you can become a binhead. Yes, it's a three-tier system at ChicagoReader.com. You can join the alley. Be an alley member. You can get some deals there. You get a uh, deal on uh, the... What is it called? The weekly... Uh, what that weekly... Uh, the, the weekly thing. Well, the weekly thing, Ben. You know what I mean? The uh, What is it called? The weekly thing. The thing that's weekly? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you're on your own, young man. Oh, I'm, my. Uh, I'm just kind of getting a kick out of watching you It's there. the thing that comes out every week. I can't remember what it's called. I'll pull it the up reader. later. Well, there's um, the reader, and then there's the news press thing. I don't know. But anyway, uh, you can join the alley. Get that thing. I don't know. I can't remember. You can, <laughs> you can join the yeah. avenue. What? You're a little young to have uh, old man brain syndrome setting in. You're a little young for that. I know. All right. Been around you too long. Uh, you could be on <laughs> the spreading. Avenue, the Avenue, uh, and you can join Benny Boulevard. It's true. And if you become a Boulevard member, you will get a deal on the Ben Jarofsky book, his greatest hits. In fact, you'll get it for free. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. Become a binhead and find out more information. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Wednesday, 
March 31st. And live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, the great Jill Winebanks. And now your host, the great Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. I got so excited with the great, my headphones fell off. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Amazon Calling Wednesday. And here's why. Huge day for the labor movement, for the future of unions in this country. They're starting to count the votes at the gargantuan Amazon warehouse facility in Bessemer, Alabama. Yes, there's a union organizing effort at at Amazon. You know the stakes. Alabama is a red, 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 redder than red state. If you can unionize there, you can unionize anywhere. And Amazon, curious hybrid of sorts. On one hand, by MAGA, it's viewed as a bunch of hippie radicals. Because its owner, Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, owns the Washington Post, which runs articles critical of one President Donnie Trump. So therefore, in MAGA's mind, they must be a hippie operation. Hold it. Time for correction. Show's only one minute old. I've already made a mistake. A new record. (laughs) Jeff Bezos is not, repeat, not the world's richest man. As I just said he was. Elon Musk is. Which brings us to a Benny J show Jeopardy. And Dennis will play the role of Alex Trebek. Here we go. Well, I wish you would have brought this up to me in the pre-show meeting. Sure. No, better yet. I'm going to imitate you imitating Alex Trebek. So here we go. Oh, Marge. Oh, wait a minute. That's your Homer Simpson imitation. Rahm Emanuel. Yes, the answer is Rahm Emanuel. And the question is, who is the mayor of Chicago who offered handouts to Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos? And you're correct. It's Rahm Emanuel. He offered over $2 billion to Bezos to build a corporate headquarters on any old prime space he wanted. It was like, please take the land, whatever land you want. I insist. And he offered Musk the right to build a super fast subterranean express train mm-hmm. O'Hare that nobody in Chicago felt they needed, but they were going to get anyway. And guess what, Chicagoans? You are going to get to pay for it all. It's Chicago version of economic development. Give money to rich people and make them richer. And you hold a press conference and go, it's all for you, Chicago. And typical Chicago reaction is, Ben, why can't it be so negative? Why can't you be more positive about these things? Like the writers at Amazon. <laughs> Cranes. Anyway, that was a tangent, D. Back to Amazon. They hate unionizing. How much do they hate unionizing, you ask? Well, here's how much they oppose unionizing. They hate it so much that they turned down a handout from Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio in New York City because it taking it, taking that handout would have required agreeing to let their warehouse workers in New York be unionized. Think about that, folks. New York City... In, it, in its infinite illogic, was offering billions to Amazon, and they turned it down because they didn't want to allow workers to be unionized. There are many theories as to why Jeff Bezos opposes unionizing so much. Number one is greed, as in, if I have a union, I might have to pay my workers more, and that means I get less, and I want more, more, more. Can't let Musk be the richest man in the world. That's one theory. 
The other theory is sort of like the Amazon theory. And that is a union is an impediment between workers and management. It's a divide between you and us, us and our workforce. And we love our workforce. We love them very, very much. A union would keep us from loving them even more than we already do. By the way, a very similar theory was trotted out by a boss, a distant boss I will not mention, as a reason for reader editorial workers not joining the newspaper guild. Yes, yes, we had a union drive at the reader several years ago. And before the fateful vote, our intrepid leader, again, Dennis, I am not going to name her name. And you don't know her, so don't ask for me in anyway. Uh, our intrepid leader gathered us in a conference room and said, I oppose unions because it'd be a breach in the sacred bond that joins us. And I say this not because my bosses told me to say this. No, no. I would never, ever say anything other than what I totally believe. But I say this because I feel it in my heart. A few days later, the Reader Union voted 20 to nothing to join the Guild. A shutout vote. I love trash-talking Tribune uh, Union activists. Charlie Johnson, Mary Wisniewski, Eric Zorn. They're like, we got 90%. And I'm like, yeah, but sorry, we got 100%. That's called unanimous by the way, the day after the vote came down, the reader editor took a new job in another city. <laughs> so much for the sacred bond. I got to give her credit. That was one hell of a slick move. Jeff Bezos would be proud. So who will win the showdown vote in Alabama? Well, as much as I want the union to win, and I am rooting for them very, very much, go union, go. I fear it's going to Amazon. Why? Well, just read this quote from Stuart Applebaum, president of the union that's trying to organize the workers. He told Newsweek, and I quote, <clears throat> this campaign has already been a victory in many ways, end of quote. Uh-oh, always get nervous when they start suggesting moral victories. Applebaum's quote continues, even though we don't know how the vote will turn out, we believe and we have opened the doors to more organizing around the country, end of quote. Yeah, it does not look good. For a contrasting quote, we turn to Jeff Bezos on his yacht somewhere in the Caribbean. Wee, party down. I'm even richer than I already was. Take that, Elon Musk. That's how you crush a union. Now we go to Mayor Rahm for comment. I love both of you. Can't we all just get along? For once in my life, I hope I'm wrong. We got a great show today, everybody. Jill Wine Banks will be here. Yes. That Jill Wine Banks, author of Watergate Girl, Jill Wine Banks, yes, that Jill Wine Banks, host of uh, or frequent guest on MSNBC, indivisible leader, champion for truth, justice, and American way. Her paperback edition of uh, Watergate Girls come out. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the uh, Derek Chauvin trial going on in Minnesota. I know as a former prosecutor, Jill Wine Banks has a lot of thoughts on that. We'll be talking about G. G Gordon Liddy died. For a lot of you youngsters out there, you don't know who he is, but he was a central character for Richard Nixon uh, in the Watergate escapade. We're going to take a deep dive and teach all you millennials about Watergate. Get your paper and pencils out. Take notes. Get smart. Never too late to be smart. Right, D? Yeah, we got a lot of millennial listeners. Please don't offend them. I love millennials. There you know go. that. There we go. Okay? I'm looking at two millennials right now. All right. We're looking back at me. <laughs> Dude, you don't even know how to use Zoomcaster. We're a little salty at the moment. <laughs> Had a little troubles with the whole Zoomcaster thing, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to let the cat out of the back. But the other day, uh, two very smart advisors were trying to tell me, Ben, we should shift from Google Meet to Zencaster. So let's 
Wait a minute. Is it Zemcaster or Zoomcaster? I forgot. Oh, Jesus. Zencaster. <laughs> and you got that new microphone. Open it. Oh, where is it? Good Lord. I, I got to figure out how to put the microphone on the handle. Where's Jeff Bezos? I could use a little help. <laughs> Elon Musk. Anyway, so yeah, I, I, I was going to test it, but I didn't realize you had to go on Google Chrome to do it. And I was on Firefox instead of Google Chrome. And every time I say Firefox, I got to resist the effort not to call it Foxfire. I got a lot of issues, D. Okay? It's yeah. a miracle I get through the day. Oh, yeah. And I, I've, I've worked with you long enough. Like, all right, give it a few days. He'll realize uh, that he's not on <laughs> Google Chrome and on Firefox. Then a few days later, hey, D, man. <laughs> All right, before we bring Jill Wine Banks on, the young man from Evanston, the man we call Benny J with the news. I got some news. Like that, D? Like how I switched that around? Huh? Is that good? What? Yeah, yeah. Intro to yourself. I mean, I mean, <laughs> doesn't happen enough. That was pretty cool. That'd be like if Johnny Carson now goes, and here's Johnny. Love Johnny Carson. Take a chill pill, man. Oh, Rom. <laughs> Rom, where'd you come from? I miss you, Rom. You're such a great mayor. Here, Jeff Bezos, have even more money than you already have. Elon Musk, please allow me. Let me give you some Chicagoans property tax dollars. Go ahead, take it. Well, okay. I just biked around Lake Michigan. <laughs> and did you ask people uh, when you were biking around Lake Michigan uh, about anything in particular, Rom? Oh, wait, we don't have that part of the interview. Forget it. How many miles does it around? All right, let's see. Where am I? Oh, there was an article in the Chicago Tribune today about the newest uh, candidate for governor running as a Republican. Let me find it for you, D. Hold on while I find this article. Not doing much anything except for looking for the article. How's it going, everybody, on the live stream chat? You guys doing okay? Ah, Listeners doing good? Oh, there we go. go. Cool, good, good, good. Schomburg businessman. Gary Rabine launches bid for Governor D. There's a photo of him. I sent it to you. He's winking. In this photo, he's winking. Hey, vote for me. Kind of like it. (laughs) Remember when Sarah Palin was always winking during the debate? Folks, if you could see me on our Zoomcaster show. Zencaster. Zen. Zencaster. Oh, Zencaster. (laughs) There you go again. The dyslexia is kicking in. Anyway, Gary Rabin is a conservative ally of Donald Trump. He's an ardent supporter of Donald Trump. That's how Rick Pearson puts it in the uh, uh, Chicago Tribune. He's a suburban businessman. And did I mention he was an ardent supporter of Donald Trump? Yes. Uh, According to Rick Pearson, he turned his family's driveway paving business into a multi-million dollar business service group. And now he's running for the governor as a Republican. Of course, he's in the primary. And... um, this kind of sums it up. Uh, well, you know, he's trying to figure out a way to hold on. Uh, by the way, D, uh, Jill Weinbanks just sent me a text. Uh, send her uh, a, an email. Just oh, I sent it. The invite. Out. The oh. invite is out. Well, let me text her back. Invite oh, okay. is out. Man, we got nothing going on. We're not doing a show. <laughs> We're not live or anything. Go ahead. That's cool. Take your time. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, he's such a supporter of Trump, but he has to distinguish himself. So this is this is what MAGA hat wearers do. They go, while I didn't like the tone of Trump, 
He really was the best job creating president of my lifetime. If we have somebody with a tone that's not perfect, it's better than somebody on the other side who actually has a mindset maybe different than pushing a socialist agenda, not about America. What? What? I'm sorry, I can't get through the quote. Greatest job producer. Every just make the stuff up as you go along. Greatest job. We're in the middle of a huge recession. We're trying to come back from it. Because he was completely incapable of dealing with COVID. Wanted to pretend it didn't exist. How is that the greatest job? There's so many people out of work right now. Can't find jobs. Hoping that they'll get a stimulus check from the government. And you're saying he's the greatest job producer ever? Folks, I really do struggle with this. I want to be bipartisan. But how can you be bipartisan with people who are so freaking clueless? Then here we go. Then we get into the issue of whether the election was stolen or not. Asked by a reporter if he believed, as Trump has falsely stated, the elect, that the election was stolen due to fraud, Rabin said, and I am quoting here, I am not smart enough to understand what was the end result, whether it was stolen enough, and I would never say that. That is perhaps the single stupidest line I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of stupid lines. You're not smart enough to know whether the election was stolen. Dude, everyone knows the election wasn't stolen. Supposedly, you're, that's the reason you're running for office is that you're so freaking smart. You're so smart that you took this little, what did they say in the lead, D? He took his family paving business and turned it into a multi-million dollar business service operation. Oh, if you're so smart to do that, how come you're not smart enough? to know that the election wasn't stolen. Everyone says it wasn't stolen. In fact, Sidney Powell, Donald Trump's election lawyer, are you listening, Gary Rabin? Sidney Powell, who was saying the election was stolen when she got sued by Dominion for defaming their product, she turned around and said, well, no reasonable person would believe anything I said. You're so scared of MAGA. You position yourself as the world's smartest man who took the family paving business and turned it into this gazillion dollar operation. And you're so afraid of MAGA that you can't say, guys, give it up. We lost. Maybe we can learn from the loss. Maybe we can change some of our attitudes, our ideologies, so they're more, they appeal more to the people who voted against us. No, you're so afraid of MAGA that you have to perpetuate the lie. And you're such a weasel. You won't say you believe in the lie. You just say, well, I'm not smart enough to know one way or the other. <laughs> what a what a chicken. I would have more respect for you if you got out there and go, I believe the election was stolen. Yes, I believe it. But uh, Mr. Rabin, there's no evidence whatsoever to suggest that the election was stolen. In fact, the leading proponent of the election was stolen said that no reasonable person would have believed such a fictitious accusation. And then you would say, I don't care. I believe it anyway, because I want to believe it. I would have more respect for you if you did that than if you said, well, I don't know. It's, it's so confusing. I'm not that bright. Well, if you're not that bright, you shouldn't run for governor. Just saying. So you're not voting for Gary Rubin. <laughs> no, vote for this guy. Okay. Well, actually, that's a tough question. That is an excellent point, D. Good job. There are now three Republicans running for the nomination. Three Republicans right now running for the right to oppose one Bruce Rauner. One, B. 
big, big feller from downstate, Darren Bailey. That is correct. The- <laughs> state Senator Darren Bailey. And then the, the dude I always forget, former state Senator Paul Schimpf. It's a hard name to say for me. Schimpf. He's running. And now you got Gary Rabine. I don't know. <laughs> I can't figure it out. Gary, I'm not bright enough to figure out whether the election was stolen. So, D, that's three MAGA hatters. Now, if you made me decide which of those three, if you, like, as punishment for some dirty deed I've done in the past, locked me in a room and said, you have to vote for one of these three men, who would I vote for? Shimp? Darren Bailey or Gary Rabin? I would vote for Shimp because his name most of the three most closely resembles one of my favorite groups, the Three Stooges. So I would vote for him because his name is kind of like a Three Stooge. Doesn't take much to get your vote. But that's only if you put me in a room and made me do it. Then the other issue, of course, is three MAGA hat wearers enough for Adam Kinzinger? Follow me on this one, folks. Right now, the notion is that Adam Kinzinger, the congressman from uh, Illinois who dares to criticize Trump, the Republican congressman from Illinois who dares to criticize Trump, people have been suggesting, oh, Kinzinger, he's positioning himself to run for governor. Then other people say, oh, but he can't possibly win because MAGA will never vote for him. They hate him because he dares to criticize Trump. But then there's the theory. If you put too many MAGA hat wearers in the race, will they divide the MAGA vote? And like the the more or less sensible, I know that sounds like a complete contradiction, the more or less sensible Republican voter will then vote for, will then get to elect Kinsinger. I'm not certain if three MAGA hat wearers is enough. I think you may need a couple more before Adam Kinsinger can win the primary. Anyway, we're going to uh, take a little break, reach out to Jill Wine Banks, bring Jill Wine Banks on, get her thoughts and opinions and views on all the issues of the day. Wait! Jill Weinbanks has joined us. We're going to take a little break and we'll bring her on. That is correct. Nearly a thousand miles. Nearly a thousand miles. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly newspaper paper 
since 1971. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from my apartment and his attic. As I've said many, many times before, I am a child of the 70s. In many ways, I still live in the 70s. I watch uh, 70s movies from time to time. I listen to 70s music every freaking day. Uh, So I am very much stuck in the 70s. And a key person in the 70s, uh, Jill Weinbanks. Uh, She was a prosecutor and one of the key key prosecutors in the uh, Watergate, prosecuting the Watergate crimes, the author of Watergate Girl. Yes, Jill Weinbanks, that Jill Weinbanks from MSNBC, uh, indivisible in Chicago, an activist, a lawyer, and a good friend of the Ben Jarowski Show. Uh, Jill Weinbanks, welcome back. Thank you so much. I apologize for my tardiness. I thought you were calling. I didn't realize I had to link in. Apologies. No, there's no reason to apologize. Uh, the judge, uh, Dennis, who's the producer, has sanctioned you, uh, and you're, <laughs> you will get a fine in the mail. All right. There are um, a lot of lawyers who should be sanctioned right now. Well, we'll start with Sidney Powell as the lawyer yes. who should be sanctioned. But before we get to Sidney Powell, before we get uh, to the news of the day, and I did definitely want to talk to you about the Derek uh, Chauvin trial uh, in Minnesota. I've been following some of your tweets, what you've had to say about it. Uh, and I also want to talk to you about Sidney Powell and her notion that no reasonable person would believe the things uh, that she said. Uh, and uh, let's just talk a little bit about Watergate Girl. It's out in paperback. Tell folks what Watergate Girl is and uh, why they should read it. Go ahead, Jill. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Watergate Girl, of course, is my memoir of being the only woman on the trial team for the Watergate uh, obstruction of justice case in which Richard Nixon's top aides all went to jail and he was named an unindicted co-conspirator. But it's much more than the story of the trial and the investigation and the 18 and a half minute gap. It's also the story of my private life and my personal hurdles and the hurdles that all women went through. It, it kind of captures the era, your favorite era, the 70s. It captures that and talks about the sexism of the era, the blatant gender discrimination, and talks about how I overcame those things in ways that hopefully other people will see they too can accomplish whatever they set out to accomplish and can overcome those it's, I hope it's a good read. That's what people tell me, the comments I get. And it has now been optioned for a movie. Whoa, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Katie Holmes just bought the, well, uh, you know, an option to make it into a movie or a television series. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. And, and it, 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 in many ways, uh, Watergate Girl rem, uh, reminds me of Mrs. America. I don't know if you saw that. I uh, did. I'm really obsessed with that show, Jill. And I did a deep dive with it uh, with several guests. We talked obsessively about it for over an hour, <laughs> if such a thing is possible. And there was not enough time. Uh, but I think of you very much as part of that crowd, even though you were not pushing for uh, openly pushing for uh, the Equal Rights Amendment. Oh, I was. I was. I was at the 1976 Democratic Convention and working the state delegations to support the Equal Rights Amendment. I was working with Liz Carpenter. And so, yes, I definitely was involved. Um, I think of you, I apologize for that oversight. I think of you more as the prosecutor. I didn't think of you. Liz Carpenter, that was, wasn't that Lady Bird Johnson's press secretary? Yes. Wow, the things I know. Anyway, uh, so... 
utterly obsessed with that era and that time and the push for the Equal Rights Amendment. And one of the, the similarities that all the women, uh, even Phyllis Schlafly, who was opposed, vehemently opposed to the Equal Rights Amendment, they all had to deal with the fact that they would be um, minimized as players in the game. And uh, there was just a compulsion by their male allies, if you will, if it was Phyllis Schlafly, the Ronald Reagans of the world, the Richard Nixons of the world, um, the, the Senator, the Congressman Cranes of the world, to sort of like just not take you seriously, not view you as an equal. Uh, and your story is very much in tune with that, correct? Well, it is because it is the story of my struggle to be accepted as a legal equal, not to be called a lady lawyer, which really to this day offends me. I was a trial lawyer. I'm not a lady lawyer. And I am an equal to anybody else who graduated law school and had the same experiences I did. Um, it, it definitely was. The argument against ERA was largely, well, we'd have to share bathrooms with men. That was, and isn't that what we're hearing now on the LGBTQ and transgender? It's bathrooms. Uh, it, it was also the draft back then, um, but there was no valid reason against it. By uh, chance, by coincidence, uh, Jill, uh, G. Gordon Liddy passed, uh, I think it was either yesterday or the day before. I'm not quite sure what exact day, but I read the uh, his obituary uh, in the paper. Uh, let's take a moment to reflect a little bit about the life and times of a man that I would say is batshit crazy, G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> uh, he rose to the high ranks uh, in the White House as a political operative for Richard Nixon, very much involved in the Watergate uh scandal and uh, then became a right-wing hero. Talk a little bit about uh, G. Gordon Liddy. So Watergate had a very colorful cast of characters and Gordon Liddy, G. Gordon Liddy, was certainly one of the most colorful of the group. He um, had been an FBI agent. He was a prosecutor in New York in one of the counties. And then he got involved in politics and ended up being part of the plumbers unit, which was the group that broke into Ellsberg's office, broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Um, he was basically the mastermind. He presented what was known as Operation Gemstone to Attorney General Mitchell, who went on to become the head of the of CREEP, the committee to reelect the president. Um, and he had this big easel with uh, posters on it showing the various things they would do under Operation Gemstone, which included the DNC break-in, but also using prostitutes to lure delegates at the Democratic Convention to uh, a houseboat where they would be filmed and blackmailed. Uh, I mean, a lot of absurd things. And Mitchell responded not by saying, this is illegal, it's ridiculous, get out of here, he said. Uh, a million dollars is too much to spend on that. Cut the budget and I'll approve it. And so he cut the budget. It got approved. And that led to the break in. Um, he was not apprehended. He wasn't actually inside the DNC. He was directing it, but he was click very quickly linked to it, as was the other colorful character, E. Howard Hunt. Mm -hmm. um, and who had been a CIA agent and went on to write tawdry novels um, you know, actually not bad ones, but, you know, if you're into that genre and um, 
Gordon Liddy was known for his silence. He would not speak to anybody, no matter what. He went to jail rather than speak. He used to harden himself by putting his hand over an open flame and at one point saying, you know, if, if you don't like this, I'll stand on a street corner and you can kill me in terms of hush money and, and keeping quiet. Um, he did a lot of really strange things. He shot a gun once during, he was prosecuting a case in New York and um, actually discharged the firearm in the courtroom. Uh, he did a lot of very weird things and uh, he went on to become, strangely enough, for a silent person, he went on to become a radio talk show host. Uh, pretty white, right wing and um, ridiculous statements. Um, a friend of mine just called me to say, did you know that he died? I once heard him on a station that was uh, had Christian science uh, services on it. And he used foul language. And she, she happens to be a Christian scientist. And so she was offended and said to the church they should stop being on that channel because he used foul language, which by today's standards, definitely not foul. But um, yeah, he, he was quite a character and he went to jail for the break-in, for his role in the break-in and never spoke. My recollection is that he was the gentleman uh, manning the phones in the building across from the Watergate, but I could be... Uh, misremembering it, uh, but that's no, my. He, well, he was part of the across the street of Watergate was the Howard Johnson. Yeah, there was actually, um, I think it was, I want to say Tony Ulasowicz, but I don't think it was him, um, who was supposed to be watching as the break-in was taking yes. place, so that they could walkie-talkie. They didn't have there were no cell phones back then. They could use a walkie-talkie to say the police are on their way, get out of there. He was watching, and it wasn't Liddy, but that person okay. was watching a television show, got distracted, and didn't see when the police <laughs> arrived, so they got arrested. Ah. Um, but it, it was Liddy and Hunt were not in the DNC. Liddy and Hunt got arrested afterwards um, for, for a variety of reasons. They were linked. Uh, there was a book by Jimmy Breslin back in the 60s. It was called The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, and that sounds like this crew. Uh, that was uh, the Marx Brothers, yes, exactly. Uh, by the way, I have a great you, picture of me and Richard Benvenista with Jimmy Breslin, who came to watch the trial. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. Jimmy Breslin is yeah, my hero. I'm a 70s guy. Jimmy Breslin, yeah. columnist uh, for the New York Daily News for many years. I was a huge fan of his. By the way, G. Gordon Liddy, I urge everybody to check out the old bit. If you just want to get a sense of how batshit crazy he absolutely actually was, the stupid things he said. Uh, one one of the quotes uh, had to do with, his, as a young man, he was inspired by uh, Hitler in Germany. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this. I'm like, you would read the Who reads the story of Hitler in Germany and walks away saying, oh, I find this an inspirational guy. Someone who is really twisted. Uh, I have to admit, I never heard that one before, but that's quite horrible. Yeah, no, yeah, it was in today's uh, obituary. I, I kind of knew it before because I, uh, like I said, I was kind of obsessed with the Watergate story when it was breaking out. I, every time you come on, I always ask you this. So get ready for the question again. Uh, one of Jill's great moments, uh, and it's in uh, uh, Watergate Girl, uh, as talks about cross-examining Rosemary Woods. And Rosemary Woods, as everybody knows, who's above the age of, let's say, 60, uh, was the secretary to uh, Richard Nixon. And she took the hit. She took the fall. See, it was a very G. Gordon Liddy thing. When G. Gordon Liddy said, uh, Jill, sh just send me to the corner and shoot me, he was saying, I am such a soldier yes. for this operation that I will go to any corner and you could just shoot me. 
by the way, I didn't believe it for two seconds. Joe Winebang said he was, I think he was just talking smack, but anyway, uh, Rosemary Woods really did take the fall. There's 18 and a half missing minutes on the tapes that uh, Richard Nixon made of everybody who had a phone conversation with him or anybody who came into the Oval Office. He was taping the conversations. And there's 18 and a half crucial minutes that were missing. And Rosemary Woods took the fall for it. Talk about cross-examining Rosemary Woods. Well, it was a pivotal moment, both in terms of public opinion of Richard Nixon and the Watergate episode and in Rosemary's life and in my life. It definitely uh, had a dramatic impact on all all of those things. Um, All I knew when I went to cross-examine her was that the White House had said, we've discovered a gap in one of the tapes. It has no innocent explanation and only Rosemary Woods can explain it. And so I had to go into court, violate every rule of cross-examination, which is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. And I had to say, so what happened? And her explanation was so absurd that I said, well, can we demonstrate that in court? And so her equipment was brought into court. And when she tried to demonstrate in the narrow confines of the witness box, which was much smaller space for her to reach the phone she said she had to answer, it failed. And her foot came off the pedal, which meant that the tape did not erase. And she said, but it's different in my office. I did it there. And I boldly said, well, Your Honor, maybe we should adjourn to her office. And for reasons I'll never understand, her lawyer didn't object. The White House didn't object. And the judge said, fine. And so we went off to the White House where she demonstrated in front of the White House photographer, Holly Atkins. And uh, the pictures became the front page of every newspaper and magazine. And she became a laughing stock. Um, in the book, I actually wanted to portray her more as a full person. I wanted to portray her as her friends knew her, as her family knew her, but they all thought I was evil and mean that I had embarrassed her and no one would talk to me. So I, I was very limited in you know, getting the kind of personal information. I tried uh, talking to people like John Dean, who saw her every day when he would go into the Oval Office. He would, you know, the one thing I learned from him was, that instead of Rosemary, she was called Rose, Mm. Um, which, you know, that's a little bit of an insight. I was happy to know that, but I wanted to know what her apartment looked like. She lived in the Watergate, which is a really weird coincidence. Um, I wanted to know where she shopped, who her friends were, and it it was very hard, but I did tell this story during my book tour um, on radio on NPR, and I got a call from her grandnephew, who shared with me some very wonderful stories about her that make me understand her and like her better. Um, and, and I feel honestly, if it hadn't, you know, she's at least a generation ahead of me that if she had been even in my generation, certainly in a generation after me, she might've had a chance of being the chief of staff instead of the secretary to the president. Mm. She really was an advisor to him. She was very close with him. But her story about, you know, accidentally pushing the record button instead of the stop button and keeping her foot on the panel while she talked for 18 minutes on a phone, although she said the phone call was actually only four or five, which makes it hard to explain what happened to the rest of the 18 minute gap. Um, and, and my theory is, of course, she she may have actually believed what she was saying 
but it clearly wasn't the truth. It's much more likely that Richard Nixon or Haldeman erased that, created that gap that was in the first tape that we subpoenaed. And I think in deciding whether he would ever let us have them after a long time stonewalling us and saying no, he listened and went, oh, this is terrible. It's so incriminating. I'll just erase it. And <laughs> he went to the second one and he went, well, I can't erase them all. I'm just going to have to keep on stonewalling. And uh, that she, when she got the tapes, it was already erased. And she just happened to hear it and think that it coincided with her answering the call. And she may have actually believed it, but it didn't happen. There's no physical way that it could have happened, as she said. So... Jill Weinbanks, I think you're being very charitable to Rose uh, Mary Woods. And I'll leave it at that. I don't believe for two seconds she actually believed it. Uh, and and I'll and I'll put it this way: she took the fall. I'm going to give her credit. And when I think about the story, yes. she, she took the fall for Nixon. And I think about the story you just told. I just finished reading Andrew Weissman's book. He's a prosecutor, right. uh, and uh, he was one of the. Uh, key members of uh, Mueller's uh, team that investigated Donald Trump's crimes. Okay, folks, Donald Trump learned a thing or two from Richard Nixon. And when I read his book, it's a fascinating read. I urge everybody to read that one as well. Uh, When I read his book, Jill, I saw the prevailing notion in the White House is that it was like a mob activity there it was like a mobs a group of mobsters and you owed your allegiance to the man at top donald trump and yes. you everything you should do would be about protecting donald trump and if you had to sacrifice your life if you had to say lie to an fbi agent or to a federal prosecutor thus opening yourself up to the possibility that you would get sent to jail you did it because you owed everything in life to donald trump and i think to a certain degree, when I hear you uh, tell a story about Rosemary Woods and uh, read it in uh, Watergate Girl, I think that attitude and mindset was very much prevalent on a much smaller level in the, the Nixon White House. What do you think? I, I, I think a couple of things. One, um, the as Scaramucci said, the fish stinks from the head. And that was true in the Trump administration. It was certainly true in Nixon the top person creates the culture and the atmosphere. And Richard Nixon clearly believed if I do it, as he said, if I do it, it isn't illegal. I'm the president. And that the ends justify the means. And he created the environment that empowered everyone below him to think it doesn't matter that this is illegal. The ends of keeping him in power are so important and so so righteous that it's okay to do. And so I think that similarity is very much the same as what happened in the administration. I think Richard Nixon and Rosemary Woods had a very special, loyal relationship. They had worked together since she had known him since he was a congressman. She started working for him when he became a senator. She stayed with him in exile after he lost uh, a campaign and moved to California and lost the race for governor there. Um, and so they had a very long, she was, she was called aunt Rose by his daughters. She and his wife, Pat shared clothes. Um, he, he shared clothes with Joe Woods, who was the sheriff of cook County, who was Rose Woods's brother. Um, so it was a uniquely 
close relationship, I didn't have the same feeling of cult. There was much more, um, I would say, competition within the cult uh, around Nixon. Um, my, you know, I came as to, to organize, I came from organized crime to Watergate. And so I was very conscious of things like how a mob bought boss talks. And I would say it certainly applied in the Trump era. That was like a mob scene and like a mob boss runs things. He doesn't say go and do ABC. He says, wouldn't it be nice if uh, we didn't have to worry about this? And everybody knows exactly what he means. Um, so I, I think that's really, you know, something important to keep in mind. Yeah. And uh, one, one other thing uh, that I've been thinking about since I read Weissman's book uh, and reflecting on uh, Watergate Girl and other Watergate books that I've read is that at the moment anyway, it seems like Trump's going to get away with it. All the crimes that he uh, committed, mainly dealing with a cover up. Uh, to try to deter uh, Mueller's investigators and federal prosecutors from getting at the truth of what he was up to uh, with Russians and what he was up to uh, with his bank accounts, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, there's great cover-up, pressure, pressure to the point where he was intimidating witnesses uh, who were going before Congress. And so far, he's got away with it, uh, Jill, in a way that Nixon couldn't. Do you think ultimately that Donald Trump will pay the price for the things he did as president? Yes. Let me start by saying, I think one of the biggest differences is that the media has changed. If there had been a Fox News when Watergate was going on, I don't know that you would have had three Republicans going to the White House and saying, we've seen the evidence and you are guilty and you will be convicted. Because Nowadays, Republicans don't listen to facts. They don't care about facts. And they live in the silo of alternative facts that has been created. Hold on, sorry. Um, and so I, I think that that makes a very big difference in analyzing what, what happens in these different environments. And I don't think, though, that as Mitch McConnell said, he hasn't gotten away with it yet. There is a criminal legal system and there is a civil legal system. Um, there are many cases pending already. There's two investigations of two different phone calls in Georgia. There is an investigation of his role in January 6th in the District of Columbia for destruction and death that resulted. There could be uh, a case brought for the deaths. Uh, there have been two cases filed for the death of people on January 6th. I think there could be a case filed for the deaths that resulted unnecessarily from COVID as a result of his actions. There are um, two cases pending, uh, E. Jean Carroll and Summer Zervos for defamation that are, but I think also Smartmatic and Dominion yeah. could end up adding him as a defendant for major damages, and let's not forget the Attorney General of New York, and let's not forget the District Attorney of Manhattan. Um, his tax returns are now in, tax returns and financial documents, and let me stress how much the financial records matter because the tax returns are sort of cleaned up summaries and hard to prove anything on, 
but with the underlying financial documents, it may be possible. Um, and, and in fact, the building, um, the Trump Tower here in Chicago mm-hmm. is one of the things that's under investigation for a loan that he may have never repaid and may not have reported as income. Um, there is still the Stormy Daniels payment that is under investigation. Um, so I think there are a lot of uh, legal fees that he's going to be seeing ahead of him, and he could be bankrupted uh, again. I mean, it would be the seventh time. Um, and he might not be able to recover from it this time. His businesses are suffering. People have cut him off. They don't want to go there. Um and so I, I think that there is some criminal and civil liability that he still could face. And I, I, I'm trusting to, you know, all the people who are investigating right now to hold him accountable and to show future presidents that they can't get away with it. Richard Nixon was not indicted, but he was forced from office. That's a pretty big penalty. But I still think if he had been indicted, maybe Donald Trump would have been a little bit more careful in how he behaved. And there's no way of knowing, of course, um, because he was a sui generis person, quite unique. Um, Well, let me ask you this just popped into my head. By the way, that was a great riff. I'll bring down all the, that was really impressive. Uh, the riff that ladies and gentlemen, that riff from Joe White Banks of all the possible criminal and civil court cases Donald Trump is facing right now. And that thing in New York is no joke, ladies and gentlemen, no. uh, that Jill just alluded to. They got the documents. They got on a, I read this. I think there's a New Yorker that had an article about it. It's, it's on some kind of computer file, Jill, that they yep. got in, in, a, in a special vault that's protected. So you can't zap it with like radar beams to like erase it. I don't know if you read the same articles. I, I, I've read a lot of articles, but I think also don't forget there are witnesses who uh, Michael Cohn, who is yes. cooperating and Weissman Weisselberg, rather, sorry, Weisselberg, um, who is the CFO of Trump organization could get pressured into cooperating because of the potential or his going to jail for the rest of his life yes. and his son or sons being indicted as well. So he may have some motivation to cooperate, um, although his now ex-daughter-in-law says he is so loyal to Donald Trump, she's not sure about that. But he certainly has, he could explain those documents in a flash. But, you know, um, there the uh, DA has hired forensic accountants and a, a specialist prosecutor. So I think they're moving forward. And Michael Cohn has been in at least eight times to talk to them. That's, that's not a little thing. That's That's a big thing. And um, somehow mentioning Michael Cohn made me think of John Dean. So I want to go back to an earlier question that we talked about. Yeah. Uh, and, and you had said, you know, you have to be over 60 to maybe remember this. Uh, John Dean had said that in reference to Liddy's death. And I said, you might have to be older than 60. And I got a lot of emails from people who are in their 50s saying, Oh, no, you don't. I remember it all very well. I was only 11 at the time. I was 10, but I was glued to the television. So, um, and even people younger than that said, I am a, you know, I'm a Watergate, you know, fanatic and I've read everything. And yeah, I know who Lydia is and I know all those details. I even know about the burning of the hand. And so um, let's, you know, it may be 
open to a lot of younger people. Yeah. No, I, uh, by the way, John Dean, there's a great, there's a great line in the uh, obituary for uh, uh, Liddy uh, where Liddy tells Liddy, it was John Dean that Liddy said, I'll just, I'll go to any street corner. He can kill me. And John Dean just very subtly, uh, uh, I don't think that'll be necessary. Uh, Gordon. <laughs> John Dean is probably thinking, how did I get trapped within this exactly. ship with all these freaking lunatics? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Michael Cohen, one of my favorite Trump characters. This guy gay, dedicated years and years of his life to servicing the Trump uh, operation, the Trump family operation. It was like a mobster thing. And then the light went on one day with uh, Cohen, for better or for worse. I'm not quite sure what motivated him. I really don't care. And he, uh, Jill, as you sort of alluded, is really eager to bring down Trump. And um, so that could be, I can't think of any parallel, any person in the Nixon white house who is plays the role of Cohen. Can you think of someone that I may be missing? Well, well um, you know, of course, John Dean became a key cooperator with a phenomenal memory, just amazing memory. Um, Jeb Magruder cooperated, but I, I don't think his heart was ever completely in it. Um, but no, most of them stayed loyal and, you know, they went through the trial. They were convicted. They went to jail and they never, they never, you know, said, let me, you know, well, McCord, okay. McCord, who never gets mentioned. Yeah. And he was the head of security for creep, the committee to reelect. He was a former CIA agent. And the night before sentencing, he wrote a letter to judge Sirica, which really to me, is the break in the Watergate case. It was before John Dean. He wrote a letter saying, Judge Sirica, I want a better sentence is the reason he's writing this, but he, d- he doesn't say that. He says, you were right throughout this trial. Higher ups were involved. Hush money was paid. Perjury was committed in this courtroom. He really laid out the obstruction of justice that had happened. And that's what led to uh, a delay in his sentencing but also led to the appointment of the Watergate prosecutor and the Watergate um, uh, Irvin committee, the Senate committee that investigated it. So he, he's a pretty important player who turned. Yeah. Um, Howard Hunt didn't. Um, and his wife died in the, she was carrying hush money and died in a plane crash at Midway airport. Yes. Yes. Um, the infamous, uh, is that, has that been established that she was carrying the hush money? What, why else is anybody carrying 10,000 back then? She was carrying $10,000 $10, in her purse and in cash. I yeah. mean, honestly, what else would it be for? Um, and we know that, um, he was very much involved in the demands for hush money and in the receipt of hush money. And some of it was passed through, um, his lawyer, um, you know, bags of cash were left in a phone booth in the yeah. lobby of his lawyer's office. Um, I mean, this is, you can't, you know, if you did this as a novel, people would say, oh, this is so silly. And they're, and they're so goofy. They're like the Marx Brothers. But it it's all real. Um, it, it happened. It happened in our lifetime. Yeah. By the way, millennials, if you haven't seen it already, go watch All the President's Men. It's like a basic yeah. introduction. It's a great flick. 
Uh, and that's, uh, Jill, why I have this notion that G. Gordon Liddy was in the Howard Johnson's across because the opening scene of all the president's men, now it's coming back. To me. I've only seen the movie like 20 times. The opening scene uh, has the, the, the operative who's in the Howard Johnson's on the walkie talkie going, uh oh, you know, there's cops, there's cops. Look out, look out. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'll do some research on that and let you know, but I don't actually think it was him there. Um, uh, and, and it's interesting because right now I can't, t- Howard Hunt was caught because in the pocket of one of yes. the, you know, they all had hundred dollar bills that were traceable to a campaign check that they cashed in Miami. But there was also Howard Hunt's white house phone number, his name and white house phone number in an address book in one of the burglars, which obviously raised questions. Why is a burglar got a white house phone yes. number? Um, so that's how he was identified. And I'm really blocking now how, how we found out that G Gordon Liddy was the one who presented operation gemstone, um, to get approval and funding from, from Creek. I'll have to do more research on that. Uh, Jill, I could talk about Watergate forever. I could talk about the seventies forever. Let's bring it up to date a little bit. Uh, Sidney Powell, um, <laughs> I can't, uh, uh say this without laughing it is so bizarre and you talked about this uh when you said that back in the 70s when watergate was unfolding there was no fox tv so there's no alternative reality uh, created by a huge powerful media operation that can take something that is blue and turn it red and uh that is what has happened with sydney powell she's the lawyer the election lawyer for uh, donald trump at uh in the aftermath of joe biden's victory i repeat joe biden's victory uh, in November of 2020, one more time, Joe Biden victory, overwhelming. Uh, yeah, well, at least uh, in terms of votes. Yes, popular vote, electoral college was a little too close for comfort. But anyway, uh, in terms of his overwhelming, yeah, uh, popular, he had a bigger electoral college uh, margin than Donald Trump did. That is true. Uh, now we're comparing uh, electoral college mandate uh, margins. I will say this. Now we're on a tangent. But if you take a look, and this is very key, and I hope Democrats who are listening don't forget this and don't fall asleep like you have a tendency to do, Democrats. Wake up. But if you take a look, uh, Jill, at the margin of victory in the key swing states that flipped from Trump to uh, uh, to Biden, like Arizona and Wisconsin, uh, it's very close. And so what, this is what gives Republicans hope. And Georgia, of course, we cannot forget Georgia. Like they think, so that if you pass onerous laws that prohibit uh, black people from voting or make it much more difficult uh, for them to uh, vote, you can reverse those trends. And even if you lose by 20 million votes, you can still win with this cockamamie electoral college that we have. So yes. that's why I say, Democrats, yes. please don't fall asleep like you have a tendency to no, do. That, you're right on that. It is absolutely, completely true. There is no sense to our electoral um it, 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 the whole Senate doesn't make sense. You have 50 senators on each side right now, but the first 50 who are Democrats represent 70% of all Americans, and the others represent 30%, but they have an equal vote. Yeah, it's insane. By the way, one more time, I'll just say it. We'll end it right now, uh, this insane system. Hey, all you hipsters. In the Bay Area of San Francisco, move to Austin, Texas. There's no difference between Austin and the Bay Area. Y'all work remotely anyway. Uh, Texas, 
uh, will become a blue state. Uh, then we'll make D.C. a separate state. Bada boom, bada bing. The Electoral College is over as an issue, uh, Jill. And suddenly we'll hear Republicans complaining about it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Sidney Powell, back to Sidney Powell. So she was swearing up and down that there was this conspiracy and the Dominion had this secret way of flipping votes from Biden to Trump and uh, that Trump really won. Dominion sues her. Jill, this is such chutzpah. They sue her and her lawyer files these documents with the court that says no reasonable person would believe this nonsense, this drivel. That's my paraphrase of it. He no, that's pretty me. accurate. <laughs> Jill, I'm telling you, have you ever seen such a blatant display of chutzpah on the part of an attorney? It, well, it's worse than that because she's saying, please disbar me. Please sanction me, because not only did she lie in on Fox News, but she lied in court. She filed lawsuits making these same allegations. And as a lawyer, you cannot lie to the court. So I think, you know, I think it's it's absurd. And it's not just her. Uh, I'm sorry, not just Dominion. Smartmatic sued her and yeah. Rudy Giuliani and Fox News um, and some of its particular hosts of news shows. And one of them lost his job right after that. I'm not saying it's the only reason he lost his job, but certainly I must have played a part in why Lou Dobbs got fired. Um, so I think that those lawsuits are being very much underestimated in terms of their potential for changing fake news because they are being held accountable. The lawsuit is for the annual profit of Fox News. We're talking in the billions. They're not being sued for millions. They're being sued for billions. And I I think that they're going to have to think twice about uh, propagating what they know to be false. And false, so false that the person who speaks it says, who would ever believe this? It's so absurd. Um, that isn't a defense to the lawsuit, number one. And um, it's not going to it's just not going to work. I think she will be held accountable for her lies and that's what they are. Let's, you know, I have a thing on Twitter, a hashtag say this, not that. And let's not say it's misleading. It's lies. It's disinformation, which is different than misinformation. You know, you could make a mistake. This isn't a mistake. These are deliberate. Let's make this up and say the most outrageous things. Um, And it's true for so many on Fox news and the people who listen are believing that it's true and then they'll vote to reelect people because they think it's true. Well put, well put. Uh, I cannot let you go without some thoughts, your comments. I've been following your Twitter feed about the uh, Derek Chauvin trial that's going on in Minnesota. Uh, Derek Chauvin, of course, being uh, the Minneapolis police officer who put his knee on uh, George Floyd's neck uh, and uh, killed him in May. Um, that was, God, it's already uh, almost a year. Uh, your thoughts on the early days of the trial, Jim? Well, I think that the prosecution has done a very dramatic and emotional beginning. Um, the opening statement and the playing of the video, which as many times as I've seen the video, I hadn't seen it in this perspective with the sounds of the um, the public surrounding it being horrified at what they were seeing and of trying to help to, to sort of wake Derek Chauvin out of his complete disregard for human life 
and get him to ease up. And, you know, the defense is arguing a couple things. One, the crowd was angry and distracted the police from doing their job. Well, if they did, then the police are in the wrong line of work and are poorly trained because there was nothing menacing about that crowd. And it's an absurd argument. And trying to portray some of the witnesses as there was one in particular, uh, the mixed martial arts witness as an angry black man. And I, who am white, was obscenely upset about that. I mean, I'm sure that every person watching that has to have thought, oh my God. And then they're blaming the victim. He had uh, pre-existing medical conditions. He was on drugs, which appears to be, you know, they've gotten permission to introduce a toxicology report. Um, And even the person who was almost in tears because he's the clerk who took the counterfeit bill and ended up calling the police. And he, he feels now responsible for the death of George Floyd. Um, and, and they had the very dramatic testimony of the EMT who was off duty, but walking by and tried to offer medical assistance, which would have saved his life. Uh, but the police wouldn't let anybody help or intervene. And, she was there at a time when he was still alive and could have been saved. Once you're dead, you're dead. You can't be brought back, but you can be from unconscious. And uh, it, it's, you know, arguing that there was a, an ambulance on the way. So, you know, you shouldn't be interfering. It's not interfering. You know, there, there are, she's, she was a trained EMT. Yes. She's not a doctor but she knows a lot more than I do about chest compressions and saving a life. And it, it, it doesn't seem to me that the defense, either in blaming the crowd, blaming the victim, um, is having any impact on me. Today's testimony is much less dramatic. It's uh, playing more videos that will be, I'm sure, shown to be relevant um, but it's a much more methodical laying the groundwork for introducing more videos. And, but there was the, the clerk who uh, took the $20 bill. Uh, also, aside from his emotional, I'm blaming myself, did portray him as a, him, George Floyd, in the minutes before the end of his life as being a friendly um, person who was full of life and made him a real, real person. And I think that's important for the jury to hear that he was a person. He was a human being. He deserved, you know, okay, he passed a $20 bill. It appears I'm not, you know, he can't defend himself because they killed him. And there's no death penalty for passing a $20 counterfeit bill. That's correct. Um, and, or for being on drugs. It just, it, it just isn't. So, I, I think that that all helps. I, I think they're doing a good job um, and I'll keep on watching. Yeah. Uh, Jill Weinbanks, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk. It's always uh, so, so much fun just talking about Watergate and updating it with the Trump era and everything else. Uh, and your book, uh, Watergate Girls, is in paperback. Um, I guess the next time we'll bring you back is when the TV show comes on. We can talk yes. about the TV show yes, uh, well, or movie, whichever one yeah, it's going to be. It's it's so much fun. I get to talk to Katie Holmes. Uh, I mean, I'm, it's so much fun. And I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. 
All right. Uh, stay safe and sound. Thanks Thank so much. You. For it's on. always a pleasure. I, I look forward to someday being back in person when yeah, we someday. are safe again. Yeah. All right. That's great. Thank Jill Weinbanks. Take care. Thank you very much. Jill Weinbanks, Watergate Girl is the name of her book. And uh, could have probably spent another hour on the phone with her. Uh, we didn't get to even like three or four of the topics we we're going to discuss. And I had a few Watergate questions I didn't ask. Hey, I, uh, we probably went over time. So I'm going to hold off on some of these stories I was going to bring back until tomorrow. And tomorrow is the day we unveil. <laughs> Drum roll. Our uh, much awaited, much anticipated uh, week in review. Uh, Dennis has been working diligently. In fact, while Joe Weinbanks was talking, I could see Dennis feverishly cutting up tape. Oh my God. <laughs> Running back and forth, sweating bullets, <laughs> cutting tape because it's the 80s. Uh, yeah, just cutting tape like a madman. <laughs> No, I've been collecting stories throughout the week, and we're going to do a, uh, a week that was tomorrow on the program. We're going to live stream it just like we always uh, did, you know, every day. We're going to be doing the uh, stories of the week. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the latest with that Acosta guy. All right. We're going to be talking so much more as well. And we're going to get to know that new gubernatorial candidate running against J.B. Pritzker as well. So uh, Rabin. <laughs> huh, winking. Hold on, D. Let me wink at you. Oh, yeah. By the way, Never I, wink I, again. I wish you could see this. There's the world's fattest squirrel Ooh. on a tree branch right outside my. I mean, this squirrel is portly, ladies and gentlemen. This squirrel has been living large. You know, aren't squirrels supposed to be like skinny after winter? Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Like they get fat in October, right? To get through winter. Am I right about that? Come on, D, you're from. Well, yeah, oh, I'm from oh Alton. We just squirrel fat shame all the time. Don't That's squirrel cool. fat shame, please. Hey, hey, squirrel, stop eating so much. We hope all of you will join us tomorrow. We're going to do the week that was covering the local stories, the best in Chicago and or Illinois news. It's going to be a good old time. It'll be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jill Weinbanks. Outstanding job. Can't wait, uh, folks, to have her back. Uh, maybe we'll have Katie Holmes on as well. Oh. Uh, when we do that show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible, the man, the Jill Weinbanks, Rosemary Woods, and that squirrel outside my window, Happily call the doctor. Keep yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. That is correct. <laughs>